You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Welcome to the Successful Seasons series for the Hunter's Advantage podcast, where the whole goal of this series is to break down the tactics and reasons that folks are consistently successful on harvesting big whitetails, whether on public land or on private. We're going to dig into some of the highlights of these folks' successful seasons and then talk about some of the mistakes they made and how they would correct them. If you want to learn from some absolute whitetail killers from across the country, this is the series for you. Let's get into Successful Seasons. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage podcast. This is episode number 135. Today, we are joined by a guest, Cole Cannon of Buck Ventures Outdoors. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it, man. Guys, I appreciate you having me. I I always like to talk to people who like to hunt and like camera stuff, whatever it is. So, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, of course. Usually gets uh, pretty tired of hearing about it, huh? (laughs) What was that? I said the old lady usually gets pretty tired of hearing about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> we need new faces to, to talk to. Right, uh, right. Always a good thing. Yeah, so what we wanted to do with this episode specifically is we're getting into a season, um, a new series on the podcast called Successful Seasons. And now that we're post-season and deer pression is officially like set in for pretty much everybody, like we were talking about before the show, um, we want to break down the whole goal of the series is to talk about some of the tactics, some of the reasons that folks are consistently uh, putting down not only big whitetail, but mature ones at that too. And I know that's one of your guys' goal. So I think my goal for the pod would be um, want to dig into some of your highlights of the last season. I know you had a heck of a last season and then also kind of pick your brain on the unique perspective that you bring from behind the lens of a camera and then in front of it mm-hmm. as well. So before we get into all that juicy goodness for our listeners, can you give a brief explanation of what you do at Buck Ventures, how you kind of got into videography and all that stuff? Yeah. So to make myself sound very important, I give my <laughs> myself the title of chief producer and editor for Buck Ventures uh, so basically, I oversee all the production uh, that goes on with our shows. But now we're we've grown since I got here. I started in 2019, uh, straight out of college, uh, and it's funny. You know, I grew up watching Jeff and Daniel and all these guys on Buck Ventures and Major League Bowhunter and all these shows. Uh, and you know, at a young age, I always told my parents, "Hey, some someday I'm going to figure out how to hunt for a living." You know, usually it's just kind of as a joke, uh, but here we are however many years later and the Lord just kind of for whatever reason put me in this position, got a hold of Jeff and started out. I had to have an internship um, for college to graduate my last semester, basically just texted Jeff say, Hey, I don't know if you do this, but I got to have an internship to graduate. Is there something we can do? And he said, well, not really, but come on down. We'll figure it out. And I uh, came down here, you know, spent a few months and then they never told me to leave. So I uh, <laughs> uh, kept doing it. Now I'm kind of the, the head guy on the production side. Uh, as far as getting into filming, you know, even when I was younger, I always had like a handy cam, you know, it's cheap, maybe $150. Just, oh, yeah. like, just like to film stuff to, to go back and watch it later. And then as I got into college, you know, I chose not to go play sports in college. I just kind of wanted, you know, I was pretty burnt out. And so when I got into college, I got to start hunting a lot more, got more into filming and photography, that kind of stuff. And then my love for it just really took off, you know, at that time. So, and now I get to do it as a job. So it's uh, it's kind of come full circle and uh, just glad to be doing it. Did you go to college for any sort of video production or did you get all your experience just through like your Sony Handycam on the computer learning yourself? Yeah, it's pretty much my, my degree. at a, I went to Texas A&M. My degree was sport management. So I was going to work for like the Mavericks or Cowboys or something. I had some connections <laughs> there. Uh, but when this opportunity came up, I mean, this is what I really wanted to do. So I wasn't going to I got this degree, and right now it's pretty much pointless at this moment in time. But I'm doing what I love, so I can't complain. But, yeah, I just pretty much self-taught. A lot of YouTube videos, uh, you know, learning how to edit. And then uh, once I got here, I really had to learn a little bit more because I I realized I didn't know a whole lot once I had to start doing it for TV. But um, Mm -hmm. I got it somewhat figured out now. I don't know everything, but I, I know a little bit. So uh, to start things off on a little lighter note, and this is purely hypothetical, (laughs) (laughs) 
If uh, you were to choose one person from Buck Ventures to kill a mature buck this season with a bow, and if they didn't, you would never be able to hunt again in your life, who would you choose and why? So who would I choose to – I have to shoot one or I can't hunt again? Is that what you're saying? Right, right. Hey, they got to take take a mature buck with a bow, and oh, your hunting rights the rest of your life are on. You know? uh, <laughs> I'd probably have to go with Jeff uh, okay. just because – He's the owner of the company, and he gets to hunt some pretty ground. <laughs> oh, so is this a little bit of kissing up? or? But really, I mean, Daniel, I don't know if you know Daniel real well. He's a unbelievable mm-hmm. hunter, too. Um, probably one of them, too. I, I would ha- just have to say Jeff, you know, to get some brownie points. Uh, right, right. You know, hunts, we hunt some really good ground, and then uh, we usually got a, a few at least mature. If, if not boners, we got some mature deer to, to go after every year i've been following you guys for a long time probably before you were even with buck ventures mm-hmm. I, I mean b and jake and i are both from oklahoma so they're just kind of icons in especially the oklahoma space i mean consistently putting d- big deer down year after year after year and if and they're always chasing something like massive seems like something mm-hmm. world-class and i don't think a lot of that is by accident you know i think it takes somewhat of a radical obsession to to kill mature bucks and especially big ones and it's like a 365 day um a year kind of job and it's not just a month before deer season so some people can do minimal work and kind of just get lucky with a big buck but i don't think the way that you guys do it year after year is a coincidence at all um do you agree with that and and what are what do you think are some of the key things that keeps you guys doing it year after year yeah, 100%. Um, so just one thing, even as I started here, one thing Jeff grew up doing, even from the start, is he never really went to outfitters. He just he always wanted to do it on his own. He wanted to lease land or own land and, and put in that kind of work and not rely on others, I guess you could say, um, to just show up and go kill a deer. Um, and, yeah, it's it's pretty much an obsession. Uh, you know, we I, I laugh about it all the time. We'll, we'll have a meeting here in Jeff's office for three hours, talking about how to kill one specific deer. And that's going to be the most productive thing we get done in a day. Uh, and I know people probably hate hearing that because, you know, they're they're behind their desk job or whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, they it, – it's an obsession. It's, it literally is 365 days. Even right now, we're, we're pretty burnt out from the year. You know, it's been pretty – it was a good year, but, you know, you can only hunt so long and you need a little bit of a break. Uh, but we're still – we're about to get, start getting tractors up to farms – uh, making sure feeders are full for, you know, the winter, that type of stuff. I mean, it, it's literally nonstop. Um, and yeah, you got to put in the work. Um, I think to be, to do it consistently, anybody can go out. I feel like, and maybe get lucky, you know, one year or whatever it may be, and maybe even shoot some, some good deer, some one fifties, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're going to shoot big, big deer year after year, um, you, you got to put in the work and you got to have the ground to do it. You know, you, you can't hunt a 180 if you don't have a 180. You know, I hear people say, well, well, I can't shoot one that big. Well, you probably don't have one. So, you know, it, it is a, it's a mixture of hard work and having good ground too. That's, that's, that's definitely a part of the formula. An interesting thing that I saw today, I was listening to a podcast with Don Higgins and he was like, uh, they were like, Hey, what, what advice would you give to a guy trying to kill a big buck year after year? And he said, well, step one, find a big buck mm-hmm. he's like once you find one then put all of your eggs into finding where he is where he's spending his daylight hours where he's bedding where he's living getting permission trying to lease ground he was like that's where to start because these world-class bucks they're so uncommon just finding one is the number one priority and able to hunt one yeah well and i'll say this too we we've got in oklahoma we, we've got about twenty thousand acres uh kansas we've got about close to a thousand and then we got farms in Ohio and Nebraska and this or that. And, you know, every year we usually have some big deer, but even when you start talking about even like giants, like 200 inch deer, I mean, we've got all of this land and they haven't had a 200 inch deer since 2012. And so, mm-hmm. even, you know, when we start getting to that caliber, it, it gets even tougher, but um, yeah, you got, you definitely got to have <laughs> the deer in order to, to hunt, you know, to kill one. So um, definitely, you know, we, we are lucky because we, we do have a lot of ground. Uh, we're blessed with that, but it's it's also our drop. So, you know, we can we can write it off for tax purposes too. <laughs> yeah. D- uh, don't you guys usually put out like a hit list before the season ever starts? Usually, yeah. We put out cameras um, 
which this year is a little early. You know, we always get excited a little early. Right. Uh, usually around the first of July, we'll start getting cameras out, um, start gathering inventory. You know, all across the country with what we got, and you know, most of the deer, most of the farms, we know the deer just because we got history with them, and we'll say, hey, you know, this deer's five or this deer's four. He's not on the hit list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we we pretty much know going into it. You know. It's, especially to start the season, what deer we're chasing. And then it's nice because every now and then we'll have a, a few kind of surprise bucks show up that are definite shooters, you know, that we did in summer. Yeah. Uh, kind of the reason I, I asked that question is, uh, do you all ever struggle with like kind of to put video out and fear that the neighbors will kind of know where y'all hunt and then therefore, oh, they watch y'all's video and they see, man, they got five, six really big deer over there. And so now I'm just going to scoot closer to that fence line. Do you all ever kind of run into that or? It's funny you ask that. We, we actually just uh, had that conversation not long ago because uh, we always, or especially Jeff, you know, I, I've been here five years now, so I'll say we, but his, his mentality going into it was he didn't want to hide anything. Um, you know, if he had a big deer, he'd show it. Uh, and for the most part, it hadn't been troublesome. But last few years, we've, you know, especially where we've got our Oklahoma land, people know where we're at. And, um, yeah, we've, we've lost some really big deer lately to neighbors. And so, you know, before we, we would show everything, it's probably going to be, we're probably going to be a little more careful now with what we show just because we do have people moving in and this and that, um, which is okay. But, you know, we'll, we'll still show some videos and some pictures, but it might not be our, our biggest deer that we've got, right. our team, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's funny you ask that because we, we've had a long conversation and our mentality is changing a little bit. Not that we want to hide anything, but um, we want to hide just a little bit. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Like, uh, because the property I hunt, like it's literally five minutes away from my house. And this is a town where I kind of grew up in. Mm-hmm. And so, I know for sure that like a few, at least a few people from our hometown watch our videos for some odd reason. (laughs) And I'm honestly scared to death to like show the video that I have. I mean, trust me, not, not near the size that, that you all are dealing with, but for around here, like they're pretty good bucks. Mm -hmm. And in this part, it's like 30 acre parcels that are all split up, you know, between landowners and three to four people get to hunt. And so it's just like there's there's a lot of hunters to uh, to fling arrows or let bullets fly around here. So it's just kind of like one of those things where I want to be hush hush, and I really don't want to talk about the deer unless uh, I'm holding it in my hands. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Well, one thing too we do we we do our best to work with our neighbors. I mean, your properties that we got they can only be so good. At, you know, it's only as good as your neighbor is in a sense. Right. So if they're gonna go and shoot three or four year olds, you know, it, it's going to make it tough on you. Um, so we, we, for the most part, we share everything with our neighbors. Now you don't always, you know, they don't always get on the same page we're on as far as passing right. and that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely still share with our neighbors. We just might not share as much publicly on, you know, social media or whatever it may be. Didn't that, uh, didn't you guys have a buck named windmill that got killed by one of your, one of your neighbors, that was an absolute beast. One of the things I do admire about you guys when your neighbor kills a big one is it, it seems like that day you guys got it in hand, like RIP, look at this absolute yeah. giant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tough story. Uh, yeah, really big deer. I think, I don't remember what it scored, probably, probably 185, just a big typical, you know, just a stud. And uh, yeah, that, that one though, you know, where we're at, we're up more in Northwest Oklahoma. It's big country and deer travel a long ways. Uh, and yeah, our neighbor shot it, but it was like two miles away. Wow. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff happens. Neighbors are going to shoot your deer. Other people are going to shoot your deer. We don't, we don't own a deer per se. You know, if something's on our property and he leaves and gets shot, well, Hey, that's what happens when you hunt, you know, low fence, whatever it may be. That just happens. It still and hurts. It's still, yeah. It trust me. <laughs> we got, we were in Nebraska, um, hunting with real tree and got the call. We had just shot a deer. We were all pumped up and then got the call and said, Hey, uh, we just saw that windmill got shot and literally the whole ride home. I don't know if me and Jeff said a word. We had hunted that deer so hard and almost killed him several times, but uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, you're, they're definitely going to get killed by neighbors, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. I think there was a video. Um, I think it was one of Jeff's like old videos. It seemed like it was filmed on like a, 
like a, a, ta- a camera that takes tape or something. It was like yeah. two, 200 inch deer in, in one field, mm-hmm. I think. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of why you think I, I've never heard of two, 200 inch deer together, let alone one, what allows that kind of deer to get that big? Yeah. So that is, uh, that was from 2006 or seven, I believe that was on the Wallahatchie. Um, if anybody who follows Jeff, they know he shot a lot of big deer there. That's up in Northwest Oklahoma. And at that time, it's it's a little different now because uh, a fire had come through. Um, a lot of stuff had happened. The people who bought it afterwards let cows run through it and just kind of grazed it down to nothing. Um, but yeah, during that time, it, it's unbelievable. I've you know I personally haven't seen it in its prime like that. We we've got it back now, but uh, we've got literally uh, duffel bags full of tapes. And they're pretty much all from the Wallahatchie and all the big deer that were on it. And during that time, they, where this farm is, there's basically nothing. It's just hills. You know, there's some creek bottoms and stuff, but food is the number one key there. And they had an 80 acre um, alfalfa field, you know, on a pivot. And there's footage of 300 deer in that field, you know, every night, um, just because that was about the only food, real good food that they had. Um mixed with not going in and pressuring the property. You know, they'd only go in certain times uh, really just to kill that. The, how that farm works is you sit on a hill, glass, find a deer. And then when he's killable, you just move in and kill him. And um, again, they had it heavily managed, you know, shot age, um, not necessarily going after the biggest deer. Um, if y'all remember a deer he shot called Lucky, mm-hmm. um, he was, you know, they passed him at three, a really big deer. He shot him the next year at four, which he typically wouldn't do. Um, but it was right on the fence line of a neighbor's. He kept going back and forth and, you know, he just made that decision. I uh, ended up going like 187 as a typical, you know, <laughs> stud. Uh, but that's the kind of genetics that are out there. I mean, honestly, it's just a, you know, a area that's known for big deer and you got to have, to have one 200 is pretty good to have two, you know, just playing with each other out in the middle of an alfalfa field that, 2.30 in the afternoon, it's pretty incredible. It's a mixture of food and no pressure, um, and again, just hunting smart, I guess. How do you guys, how do you guys, so in an area, in an era of people wanting to do what you guys call big buck work, so like habitat improvement, you know, uh, maybe doing some uh, some timber cutting, some hinge cutting, um, putting water holes in, putting food in, making more bedding, whatever that is. I've, I've noticed that a lot of people kind of do more damage to their, their property because a lot of people don't have a 20,000 acre piece. How do you guys kind of balance between going in and doing the work that you guys think needs to be done while putting not as much intrusion on the property and wear and tear from a intrusion perspective? Yeah. So, uh, it's a fine line, uh, because again, you want to, you want to make, we want to make our places better, but at the same time, yeah, you don't want to be in and out all the time. So, I mean, what we try to do, whether it's right or not, um, you know, if we want to put a pond in or hinge cane or whatever, we go in and do as much as we can, you know, in a two or three day span, get it knocked out and then get out and just leave it. You know, we'll, we'll definitely run some deer out. Um, but hopefully they, we've set it up to where they come back. You know, um, I don't know if that really answers your question. It is a fine line between, you know, intrusion and, you know, getting the work you got to get done. Um, but pressure is the number one thing that we do our best to avoid. Um, when it comes to shed hunting or our places, we, we walk our properties one time a year. Uh, that's during shed season. We'll rock it one time. We get what we get. And if we, you know, if there's a deer we are looking for and don't find them better like next year, uh, <laughs> we walk it and, and that's it. And so, yeah, we, you know, if you can hunt a place that's not pressured, um, and, you know, it's got big deer, it's not pressure, and you hunt it right, right, right wind, right conditions, that kind of stuff, you will have deer walk around in daylight. Um, and, yeah, back to your work, we, you know, we, we go in, we do make some noise, we do probably mess some things up, but it's during the off season, And, you know, last a couple of days, we do what we got to do, and then we get out of there. I'm with you on that. I mean, I think that's the – I think that's the right approach. Like, things need to be done, but – at the same time, you said, like you said, you're not hunting in the wrong wind directions. You're cognizant right. of your access and all that stuff, too. Just to add on that, we, I mean, in a sense, we pretend like we're the farmer. You know, I hear Jeff say it all the time, we act like we're the farmer. We don't sneak around. We don't just tiptoe around and try to do everything quiet. You know, we drive our truck in there and 
you know, make some noise and just pretend like we're the farmer and then do our stuff and then get out and leave it alone, you know. Have that mindset of just basically, I'm here, you're going to have to deal with it, you know. Yep. Basically, mind your own business. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mind your own business. (laughs) Hey, whether or not it works, I don't know. It seems to have worked over the years, but uh, that's just kind of our philosophy, I guess. Yeah. So you started with Buck Ventures, you said five years ago. Mm -hmm. And have you always kind of been around like, have you had many opportunities with, with like big deer before this? Because the reason I asked that is if I, let's say I was putting your shoes and I was like, Hey, I'm going to go film this guy potentially shooting a 180. That camera would not be steady. Even if it was camera arm strapped to a tree, whatever, like the whole, the whole tree would be shaking because I feel like it would just come in walking, not even looking real. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you kind of hold yourself together or how did you first hold yourself together? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, obviously I grew up hunting. Um, I'm from Texas originally. And so we, from the time I was three, I think I started hunting Four, I shot my first deer, but we, we've always had ranches that had, you know, maybe not the, as big a deers we're hunting now. Um, but you know, we had one fifties and some one sixties, that kind of stuff. And then as I got older, we actually started leasing some ground in Kansas. And then when I got to Kansas, you know, you learn a little bit more about big deer, you know, we were hunting some one seventies, one eighties, not that I was very successful at it, but I, <laughs> <laughs> we never are. <laughs> it's definitely different now um or when i got here because it was more consistent you know we we're seeing bigger deer more consistent had bigger deer to hunt and as far as you know the camera shaking we do get nervous i mean it, it's hard to you know you got a 180 even a you know 170 even a 160 oh. um, coming in um yeah you you don't want to screw it up <laughs> and uh, especially me if i screw it up it it doesn't look too good so yeah uh, <laughs> kind of naturally, you know, I grew up playing sports and I was, I could deal with pressure pretty well. You know, it doesn't rattle me too much. So I feel like I was kind of, kind of built for it. I guess you could say I, I'm used to it. So now the first one I ever filmed though, Jeff, we, the first year I ever filmed Jeff shoot was a 174. Uh, I was with a muzzleloader. We shot him at like 25 yards. I mean, I was, I was pretty nervous because I was like, this is the first one. Don't screw it up. Uh, but since then it's been, you know, it's been all right. I, I've managed to uh, keep it in until after you shoot. That's usually when it hits is, you know, you shoot one and uh, then you, then the shakes hit for me anyway. I'd be sitting there like, did I hit record? Is it, is it going? <laughs> I mean, Have you ever had way, that happen? Uh, I've never had it happen on a kill shot, um, thankfully. And hopefully, hopefully it doesn't happen. I've had it happen, though, where I was filming just, you know, maybe it was a deer we weren't going to shoot, but it was like some really epic footage. And I filmed the whole thing. I was like, man, this is going to be sweet. And I looked down and haven't hit it. You know, I didn't hit it. that happened. I'm like, you know, dang it. But I, it hasn't happened yet on a on a deer. So um, that's good. If I can avoid that, yeah, I think it'll be all right. Jake, this is a guy who shoots like low 70s in golf. So that's all you need to know about like how uh, steady is. I understand. Yeah. That's. that's it's more, it's a little bit of luck every now and then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little bit. I'm 50 strokes off luck. What do I need to do? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So you did, um, I know you have you had a lot of success in the last five years filming. Um, I think you had a little bit of a downturn in hunting deer or a little bit of a uh, mishap trying to get one in the last, last year or something like that, if I was reading your post correctly. But Talk us through a little bit of this season on um, kind of how that turned around for you um, with you killing a couple of really nice bucks this year. Yeah. So you want to talk about me or like you, I want to talk about the bucks that you killed. Yeah. So yeah, you know, my job is to film. It's not to hunt. Um, you know, that's, that's what I'm paid to do now with that, you know, Jeff doesn't hunt, you know, every day, especially if he's having a good season, I'll, I'll get a few days every now and then to go hunt. Um, and especially now we've moved to outdoor channel for our show. So we're trying to up, you know, our, the quality of our episodes and that kind of stuff. So yeah, going into this year, I, I had drawn a Kansas tag, obviously um, Oklahoma, I have a lifetime license and those are usually the two States that I get to hunt the most. Um, season started off, you know, decent. I, I uh, me and Jeff first, we went to North Dakota, filmed a giant deer, didn't happen, but we came back to Kansas and Jeff didn't really have a, a deer that he, necessarily want to go after yet you know we had some good deer nothing giant kind of you know and for him if it ain't really 170 or or something he's like yeah 
you know, he just, you know, he shot That's so many. Problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not so many of them. Um, but it really turned for, for us, it, it started real slow. Um, all of September, we didn't, me and him didn't shoot anything. And then we got into October and it was looking pretty rough. You know, we were hunting one deer specifically for Jeff deer named Squiggly. It wasn't happening. And then we got into muzzleloader and this farm that we were hunting, um, it's got a lot of deer on it. It's got some really good deer. And it was the same farm that Squiggly was on. And the problem was, we, it was a deer we called Paul's Buck. One of our buddies had actually shot this deer two years earlier with a bow and shot him shoulder, didn't kill him. And uh, he was four then, I believe. So this year he would have been six. And he was just kind of one of those bully bucks, you know, something that, you know, he owned that area, that he dominated that area. And Squiggly was not a uh, confrontational deer. He didn't like just his personality. He didn't like other deer, didn't like being around other deer. Um, and Squiggly was Jeff's number one target. I mean, if he could shoot a deer all year, it was going to be him. And so when we were hunting, this deer we called Paul's buck was kind of running the area, and we felt like he was pushing Squiggly away, you know, pushing on the neighbors. And so, um, yeah, we went in one morning. Again, Jeff was hunting. We had a muzzleloader in hand looking for Squiggly. And, you know, not a whole lot of, uh, I can't say we worked for it too hard, but this Paul's buck showed up. And um, Jeff made the decision. He was nice enough to say, hey, if you want to shoot this deer, we need. I think we should shoot him just to help, you know, open this farm up. And maybe Squiggly will move his home range back here closer to the center of the farm. So that one, you know, I can't say a whole lot of work went into it for that deer. We, you know, although we did a lot of work on this farm, but it was more for Squiggly and trying to kill this deer. He was, you know, Squiggly's 189 inch deer. So, mm. um, you know, he's a big deer. And uh, this deer we call Paul's buck, he just happened to, to be there. And one was one that needed to be shot. And um, I believe it was October 25th. We went in one morning and uh, saw some does, little bucks. And then he popped out coming. We had planted alfalfa. He was coming off the alfalfa, headed back to bed. And uh, fortunately for me, he walked by. I shot him at about 100 yards. And, uh, yeah, finally finally got a buck down. Going back to last year, it was it was rough for me, really, the past couple of years. Um, <clears throat> just because two years ago, 2020, Jeff had a real rough year. And my time hunting is dependent upon how well Jeff's season is going. <laughs> you want him to do good. <laughs> yeah, if he's doing good, that means I get to hunt more. And uh, 2020 was rough. And I got to hunt four days, I believe, in 2020. And it was the last four days of Oklahoma season. So, like, January 11th through the 15th, you know. Um, and then going into last year, I pretty much solely hunted Kansas, had one one deer on my mind. And for whatever reason, if I pick a deer out, I it's hard for me to go move on to another deer. And I hunted this deer and had, I think, 12 encounters with him and ultimately didn't, didn't end up killing him. So, yeah, I was kind of on a – on a low coming out of last year. And then, um, yeah, finally October 25th had a shooter step out one that Jeff wasn't going to shoot and, uh, you know, had that opportunity. So, um, yeah, it was a good way to, for me anyway, to kick off. He was, you know, he's a really good deer, just a six year old, big bodied, probably 150 inch deer that, that needed to be taken. Um, just a management buck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Jeff lets me shoot a couple 150s a year. I'm, I'm all for it. Man, uh, I mean, if he, if he ever has to, yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> and oh, then that's awesome. My, my Kansas deer, that one, uh, was mixed with the good Lord kind of blessing me. And, and Jeff had actually tagged out, uh, in Kansas on November 6th. I had filmed him shoot a, it was like a 162, but we shot him like 20 yards over a decoy. It was like one of those things you couldn't pass up. Big six-year-old, a lot of mass, over 40 inches of mass. And so he shot, and uh, his dad had already shot one. Daniel didn't draw a tag. So I'm the only one with a tag, and I've got 890 acres to myself, in a sense. And, uh, yeah, I went into the season really after um, we had a, a picture of a, of a big 10, probably 160-inch deer, you know. And, again, this was a new farm, so we didn't know much about it. Um, but this deer is definitely mature. So I, I started the year hunting him, um, got to hunt him, you know, a handful of times, never saw him. And then, you know, for me, I can't just hunt consistently. It's kind of, Hey, I'm going to hunt a few days and then I got to go film Jeff for three or four weeks or whatever it may be. And then if I get a few days, I'll just go hunt. And 
<clears throat> so throughout that time, I'm bouncing back and forth. You know, I had a couple bucks that I would have shot. One was a really big eight point um, on this little 75-acre track that we had. And I had, I believe, four encounters with them. You know, so I'm close to had them was 55 yards. And you know, I could have could have shot one or released an arrow at them, but just chose not to. It was a little windy and, you know, just didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, and then we got started getting into late season in December. And I was, again, I was getting nervous, you know, because – here we are. I have got all this land to myself and I still can't get one down. And then December 10th, um, we got, I got a cell cam pick and it's this stud. Um, we didn't know him. And at first we thought it was another buck from one of our other farms that we, we nicknamed ghost. He was just hard to get on. And then we started looking at the pictures like, Hey, that's, that's a different deer. And he showed up December 10th and we started getting consistent daylight or not daylight started getting consistent pictures of him, um, on camera. And then uh, December 16th, it was, I don't know if you remember, we had a really, really good cold front come through, especially in Kansas. And we just so happened to have our Christmas office Christmas party that night. And we had been joking all week, like, dang, we, we need to cancel this party and go hunt. It's going to be really good. Yeah. And uh, just so happens I'm driving to the party and get a picture and he's daylight, like four, four in the afternoon. <laughs> and I'm like, gosh, that's, yeah, that's about how it goes. And, um, so went to the party. Obviously, it was fun. We had a good time. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I got to get to Kansas. And Jeff was pretty much done hunting until we went to Iowa um, after Christmas. And so uh, me and another guy who works for us came up and filmed me and uh, went in the next day, had a really good hunt, saw 20-something bucks and probably 50 deer, just not him. And then uh, the next two days, the weather was hot. And I'm, I'm a stickler, especially me and Jeff. We're stickler on we don't just go hunt to hunt. You know, we, we want to, if we're going to hunt, we typically we're going into kill. And so the next two days, weather was getting hot, south winds, low pressure. And I just elected, Hey, we're just going to, we'll just sit at the cabin all day or whatever. And, you know, let this pass. And then to that Tuesday, we were going to have good weather again. And, um, I guess it was a Monday evening. It was the December 19th. We were going to just go eat dinner. You know, again, it was hot. Elected not to hunt. And I get a picture of him at like four o'clock on a different place. And I mean, the, the conditions were not for December. They were not good. And he was up on his feet early uh, with a couple other bucks. And I thought, man, tomorrow we we can kill this deer because we've got the right wind. Um, pressure was like 30.55. You know, it was really high. Um, northeast wind. We had already had a stand there. And I, I felt pretty confident. So we, we went in the next day and uh, got in early um, and just so happened he – the deer that he was w with the day before popped out. This was probably, oh, 4 o'clock. He pops out, and then I look over, and, you know, there's the big boy with him, and, and he ends up coming by 32 yards. And I I felt bad because I, I did not hit the deer where I wanted to. I hit him uh, back and high a little bit. But I luckily caught some liver, or it might have even been part of the um, aortic artery. Mm. And, you know, we, we ended up backing out, called the dog just because I was nervous. I thought I just gut shot him. And um, sorry, my dad's trying to call me. We uh, you know, I gut shot him, um, called the dog, went in the next morning, and the deer went 115 yards and was wow. dead. So, yeah, it was a combination of some, you know, the Lord just saying, here you go. And, um, some hard work went into it for sure. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely a blessing for me. He scored 177 inches and, uh, yeah, I, I told Jeff he screwed up though. Cause now he's going to let me hunt a 170 every year. <laughs> <laughs> he just set the precedent there in Kansas. So, uh, but now it was definitely a, you know, a blessed season for me. And, and, you know, anyway, describe this deer for the people that are listening and just trying to imagine it with their eyes closed in their head and talk a little bit about the tines that were broken off it too. This is a, a gross one eighties type deer. Mm -hmm. And this is a special buck. Yeah. So this deer, we knew nothing about, you know, th this was a farm. So we had another farm in Kansas. We called the Caddyshack and had a one eighty five on it. Really big deer. You could have killed them any day of the week. And for whatever reason, Jeff sold that farm two days before the Kansas season opened sold it and then he 1031 that money into this new farm that we we knew was probably going to be good uh but didn't you know didn't know anything and the previous owner had just 
kind of run this place on the ground in a sense, had cattle all over it and just ate it down to nothing, especially with the drought, you know, which again, everybody in Oklahoma and Kansas were struggling with the drought, but yeah, there was no grass on it. There was some crops on it. They didn't come up great um, just because of the drought. And this deer showed up December 10th. Um, again, we didn't know what deer he was, but he's, he's got 41 inches of mass, um, you know, a lot of mass. <laughs> he's got, um, and when you look at him, he, he looks big, but when you hold him, you see he's got splits on both his G2s. And it's hard to realize how big they are, but I think one of his splits was seven inches and one of them was like eight. And so, you know, that, as far as the scoring system goes, that, that helps pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, and I think he had 10 inch twos, uh, maybe nine or 10 inch threes, and then three inch fours. Um, and just a lot of math. He had a lot of junk on his bases that didn't really count towards the score. You know, they weren't, you know, an inch or longer, but um, just a really cool, unique deer. And then, yeah, he actually, uh, he busted off one of his four or part of one of his four, probably an inch and a half. And then he had an inside point. And we found a trail cam picture um, before he had busted and had an inside point that just kind of, you know, went up maybe three or four inches. Uh, so we assumed it would be around 182 inch, you know, 181, 182 inch type buck. Um, but I'll, I'll take 170. <laughs> All day. <laughs> I, I can get the taxi nervous to fix that. So <laughs> just a, for me, just a, you know, kind of a dream come true. You know, I hadn't, I never shot a, a deer that big or you know, I've hunted deer that big, but never, you know, been successful. So yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely one I'm proud of. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, if you had to, so we talked about some of the success that Buck Ventures had, talked about your success this year on a couple um, really good bucks. If you had to kind of go full circle and boil all the success that you guys have had cumulatively as a group and into a single word, what would that word be? Oh, gosh, that's tough. Um, I would say, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's really one word. It's, it'd be two and just hunt smart. Um, I guess would be the tactic. You know, we, we, you know, it's our job to hunt um, and we hunt most days. Um, but a lot of times it's, we're not really going into kill. We're, we're hunting kind of observation sets just to learn a little bit. Um, but if you can have a piece of property, whether it's five acres or 80 or 10,000, um, the way to kill big deer is to hunt it smart. Um not not pressure it when it doesn't need to be pressured um again going in and out that kind of stuff and then going in on days that are more like you know deer are more likely to move um you know for us that's you know a drop in temperature whether it's you know if it's been 80 degrees early season and all of a sudden it's going to be 60 uh you know drop in temperature pressure is on the rise um, for us, that's 30.3 and above. That's usually kind of what we stick to. And then obviously the wind, wind is a, the biggest, probably the, one of the biggest factors of them all. If you hunt a place with the wrong wind, um, you can probably kill a deer, but it's probably not going to be a big deer. Um, and so we kind of stick to those rules. We hunt days that, you know, are going to be more, more likely to, to be successful. And so, yeah, hunting smart. I don't, I don't know if that, hopefully that makes sense. Um, but that, you know, that's kind of the philosophy philosophy we've stuck to and it's, uh, it's paid off for us anyway. The Hunters Advantage podcast is powered by Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Out on a Limb is a family owned company based right here in Oklahoma that makes tree stands, saddle platforms, climbing sticks, and so much more. Christian, I have a quick question. What's that? What bites sound harder, a hippo or an alligator? No idea. It's a trick question. The Ridge Runner 2.0 bites harder than both of them. But all jokes aside, we use these products all across the land on public or private. These help us get into any tree we want and hunt where the deer actually are. Most men go to the grocery store for their meat, but these products help you go to God's grocery store. I have used the Out on a Limb Ridge Runner 2.0 and the Shakar Sticks for the last few years hunting public land bucks, and I've actually shot several bucks out of this setup. If you want to support the podcast and get some Out on a Limb equipment, make sure to go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 for 10% off at checkout. Once again, if you want to support the podcast... Go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 at checkout for 10% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. Uh, Success for a hunter is a buck in the bed of a truck 
what does success look like from a filming perspective? Um, it's nice when there's a buck in the, in the bed of the trail. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. For me personally, I, I, I guess you could consider me kind of like a perfectionist. Like I, I like things to go exactly how they you know need to go. Um, filming wise, if you can film just for us, just from where we're at, you know, a big buck, I guess you can start at 160 and go up. I mean, that's, that's just kind of how we qualify. Not that, you know, there's, if there's 150 H eight point, that's, that's a big deer. Um, but if we can get a big mature buck and I, I like high speed or slow motion. I mean, that's just, you know, just kind of makes it epic in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If I can get some good footage, um, of a good deer, that's, I consider that a successful hunt. Um, if we can obviously harvest that deer, that's just kind of an added bonus because we, we do have to, we do have to shoot deer. That's, <laughs> that's kind of what we're paid to do. So if we don't pay do the that, bills, yeah, if we don't do that, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well. But, um, yeah, if we're in a place where we can, you know, both of us can get by deer and, and harvest a big buck, that's, um, cause it's not easy. You know, it's, it's hard enough when it's one person hunting and it's one person sent and the one person playing the wind and one person moving around. But now you add two, and, you know, we run two or three cameras in a tree at a time and, you know, it, it makes it tough. But, um, yeah, when it comes together, it's it's uh, it's pretty special. So hopefully, from hopefully answer your question from oh, yeah, a story, definitely. from a storytelling perspective, what makes a good story from a hunt? Because I see a lot of people that are kind of coming up in, in the game of, of filming hunts. It's like, hey, I got this interview before the hunt and i got this kill shot i'm like that's a sick kill shot and that's an awesome interview but that's not a story what helps someone create a story in an era of content creation what does a good story look like for you is it starting way before the hunt is it multiple camera angles to show some the dynamic uh the dynamics and how things are happening and keeping it interesting is it add layers to the story what in your mind makes a good story of a hunt that's a good question so to me it doesn't always work this way. Um, a perfect story, you know, if you've got history with a deer, that obviously helps. But just let's just say it's a brand new deer. Um, maybe it's a piece of property. Um, a full story to me is you not just show up and shoot the deer. That's, you know, that's that's a kill shot. I feel like, any, you know, a lot of people can go out and get a kill shot. But it's, it's the work that goes into it if you're able to accurately portray, you know, the amount of time and effort and sweat that goes into – you know, especially what we do in the summers and the off season uh, to make our farms better. That's, that's probably step one. Um, step two is, yeah, definitely got to have interviews, you know, to kind of help move the story along, you know, you know, say what's going on. Cause it, it's hard to film every little thing that happens while you're deer hunting. Um, so you got to have interviews to, you know, whatever it may be to help move that story along. Um, and we, like I said, we run two to three cameras in a tree at a time, um, yeah, definitely having, having different angles helps, you know, especially when you're putting together an episode, it, it makes it more, um, I guess, visually pleasing to, to an audience guy rather than just one specific angle. Um, and again, I, for me, I really like high speed. I like slow motion. If we can do that, it, it just kind of adds some, I guess, dramatic, uh, a dramatic effect to it. Uh, and then you got to have drama drama is always part of it, whether it's a, a neighbor who's, you know, hunting your fence line, um, <laughs> future deer, whatever it may be, or maybe you have an encounter with a deer and you shoot them high and you backtrap them or miss them. You know, those are just little things that add to it. And then, um, yeah, I don't know what else. Um, again, it's, it's not just a kill shot. It's, it's, you gotta have an in-depth, um, I guess, process of showing all the, the time and effort that went into, to harvesting this buck. And for us, it's like we said, it's 365. It's not just, we just show up and, and shoot a deer. And a lot of times on TV, people might see that. They think, well, they, we're just going to go over here and shoot a deer um, every time. Well, you know, that's, that's not what happened. We've hunted like this year, we hunted 63 days, I think before we shot a deer. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, a lot of emotion, but uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers, hopefully it answers your question. Yeah. Uh, no, I see. I swear that that uh that hunt that you guys filmed on, I think you called it the Triangle Farm mm-hmm. in uh in Kansas. I was looking at Jeff's uh camera that was pointed towards him and you could see him in the stand and then you in the background. 
I swear with that camera, I counted like four cameras. Like you're responsible for like two. And then like yeah. Jeff's hunting and you think like he's got the day off, but like there's cameras like on every angle of him too, that he's responsible for. I just yeah. thought that was interesting. Yeah. We usually run a, you know, I've got, I usually, we run R fives, you know, we, we used to have some, those big, I guess, professional type cinema cameras. Uh, and nowadays cameras are made so well, you don't have to have that. Um, so we run some mirrorless cameras. I got a main one with a big telephoto lens on it. That's kind of the main for, for filming wildlife. And I got an interview camera that's always on Jeff and usually run two GoPros, you know, just to smack some cams to, to have different angles, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that stuff is, is super cool. Mm -hmm. I, I think your videos that you create are, are really dynamic too. Um, what is, you know, what, from an editing perspective, what, how long does it take you guys to produce or you, you know, you say you, some, some of the turnarounds are a week on some of these videos for the live hunt series on YouTube. How long does it take you to edit one of those? Um, the YouTube's not, it's not real bad, especially once you've done it a time or two, cause it's, it's literally typically the day in the hunt. That's just kind of how we've decided to do it. Um, it, it takes me, you know, half a day, maybe a day. If it's, if it's a, really crazy hunt you know i might be in the office today and finish it and have it posted the next um now episodes for tv there's a little more to it um there's guidelines you got to follow with certain noise levels and color grading and getting it to this person and closed caption and all that um to completely finish an episode from start to finish um probably a week give or take. Um, it just depends on number one, how much footage you got, how much you got to go through. Um, but yeah, it usually takes about a one week to, to finish a, a TV episode and, and it could be shorter. It could be longer depending on, you know, if you're missing something, missing interviews or some B roll that you needed, that kind of stuff. I'm yeah. going to be selfish for a second, Jake. I'll go for since, it. Since I got Cole on, on the line here, file management. How do you go about, <laughs> Oh my God. Anyone that's filmed the hunt is fixing to get pissed off and get a good answer. I hope. Um, how do you manage? Because that is half the battle in pulling, you know, Hey, in the summer, I got an awesome clip of this, me putting out corn. I'm going to put this on that. How do you manage your files? How do you, how do you do that? So that, yeah, we, we still struggle with that. Uh, Cause we got, since I've been here, we, you know, we, we try to go through old stuff and get it all organized, but it's a, it's a freaking disaster trying to find old stuff since I haven't been here. And not that I say I do it perfectly, but we've got, um, Obviously, we've got these big – we got 18-terabyte hard drives that we usually can put a season on. Um, and, yeah, storing it, it can be tough, um, especially yeah, because you got got to remember, hey, this happened this day. We need to use that for this story. Um, I label it by who it was, you know, if, if it's going to be for Jeff's story or Daniel's or mine or whoever it may be. So it's by person. It's by state, you know, or maybe even which farm it was on. Um, and then it's obviously by day and usually how I do it is whenever I am about to drop footage into a certain day, I'll type the day out and then in parentheses, I'll put if something kind of important happened or maybe even a summary of what happened. Like, Hey, planted food plots on the woolly grass farm or hung three stands on such and such farm. Uh, and that just kind of helps me go back. And the good thing about me is I pretty much filmed it all and then I'm putting it together. So I can kind of know what I filmed and I can remember, you know, when, when and what happened at that time. So that does make it easier. But yeah, if you are not organized, if you don't store it or, you know, put it in the right folder, it, it gets unbelievably tough to, to go back and find, you know, six months down the road. Yeah. Uh, so are you done, Christy? Are you yeah. like with yeah. bomb management? Okay. Yeah. Well, was that, was uh, that a good answer? I don't, I don't know. That was a perfect answer. Just <laughs> yeah, the I reason it's all by folders. I've got little summaries or, you know, it might be three words um, yep. next to it um, just to kind of refresh my brain. And I can remember, Hey, we did that this day. And it's usually by state or farm or in person. Yeah. yeah. I, the reason I ask is because I've been, I've been editing videos. I shoot wedding videos on the weekend sometimes and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, but I was at Jake's house a few weeks back and, you know, I use these two terabyte little Samsung SSDs for, you know, seasons or half seasons mm -hmm. or whatever. And I took it over to Jake's PC and he's got a one terabyte hard drive on his PC. And I was like, all right, you ready to see me take 700 gigs of your PC hard drive? He's like, for what? I was like three hunts. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, and, we, we run through some, 
Like my computer sitting on, we got four drives here that are 18 terabytes. So it's, oh yeah, we, we, we eat up some uh, storage pretty quick. So uh, thankfully awesome. we're, this is what we're paid to do. So we got a few extra dollars to spend on drives. Right. Heck yeah. you know, we got to have yeah. backups of backups. So we, we've got, yeah, we got drives everywhere. That's awesome. Nice. Go so ahead, Jake. I'm sure you watch hunting content on YouTube, whether that be hunting, like the hunting public, uh, seek one, but for like the, I guess the smaller guys who's trying to make like uh, or, or trying to grow their channel, what are some of the main issues that you see people struggling with creating an engaging video that kind of sets them apart or keeps them behind, I should say? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I, I don't watch a lot of hunting public, just to be honest with you. I'm just not that I don't like them or like what they do. I just I just don't watch a lot of it. Uh, love Seek One. And it's solely because, number one, they're doing something that's a little different than most. You know, a lot of people go out and hunt and they got places to hunt, but his is, you know, kind of that suburban type hunting. It's a little different. Uh, and then he, you know, Lee, and then they do a really good job of, of telling the whole story, um, whether it's from getting permission from people to go, you know, hunt their half acre track or whatever it may be. They, they document it all and do well. Um, as far as growing, I don't even know if we figured it out yet. We're, we're still kind of, <laughs> oh, you have <laughs> video or YouTube channel, and you know we we didn't start it long ago, but it, it's growing a little bit. But it's uh, the YouTube algorithm is kind of it's kind of hard to to break to, for me anyway. I'm not I haven't figured out like Mr. Beast or some of those people. Who, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, just create authentic stories. You know, don't don't try to be somebody you're not on camera. Um, you know, like Michael Waldell, I'm sure y'all know who he is. You know, he's a goofy, fun guy to watch. Um, and then you put on Jeff, Jeff's a little more serious. It's just kind of, you know, be who you are, be authentic. Um, we do our best to do that. Uh, you know, if you're being fake, it, it, it shows pretty easy through a, through a camera. Um, so we, you know, be authentic. And then, you know, for me personally, I, I just, I love film. I love, you know, have bringing everything together. So I like watching stuff that's done professionally, I guess, in a sense, you know, it's crystal clear. They got good transitions and cuts and that kind of stuff. Now, not everybody's looking for that. Some people just like getting on and watching the raw stuff. Uh, for me personally, I like it when you can bring an entire, you know, video together and it's just, you know, I guess pretty in a sense, you know, I, yeah. I like that. Now, not everybody may know how to do that or has the money to hire somebody to do that. I, I understand that. Um, Fortunately, we do, and you know that's kind of my job. So, um, gosh, I, I wish I had better advice on that because it's it's not easy, especially in today's world, because everybody has a video. You know, even if it's just your phone, everybody's filming their hunts. Um, everybody's trying to start a hunting show or start a YouTube channel with hunts, and it, it, it's hard because it gets saturated. Um, but I, I would say again, the, the one thing that you could do is kind of to separate yourself is do something that's a little bit different. Like Seek One, he's a little bit different than your everyday TV guy because there's not, I don't know any TV shows or maybe that's just out hunting, you know, somebody's backyard 10 feet from a trampoline shooting one. <laughs> that's, just, that's just not uh, very common. And, and the way that they put it together, they do a, a really, really good job. So, again, I don't know if that answered it. Uh, yeah, no. I think it did. It's not easy. I can tell you that. It ain't easy, but, you know, put in the time, put in the effort, put in the work and, you know, if it's the Lord's will, it'll, you know, it'll work out. So, right. So I have one other question and before I forget it, cause I got a horrible memory. Uh, so when you're filming and putting together all this stuff, is it, have you kind of learned like what to film and what not to film? Or is it kind of like just basically film everything and then you'll deal with it later? Because I mean, I know Christian edits 99% of our stuff, mm -hmm. but for the things I have, what I've learned just from editing like a short few is that sometimes, you know, at least for us, we get caught like, oh, man, we didn't we didn't kind of do this outro on this weekend trip. So it's kind of like at a standstill. But to kind of battle that, would you just like basically film everything or just keep filming stuff until you learn that way you don't have to do as much work? Um, yeah, it's, that's kind of a, it's a tough line between, yeah, filming everything and filming too much. Right. Um, when I first started here, yeah, I was pretty much filming everything. <laughs> like, I don't want to mess this up. I'll make sure we got everything. And I still pretty much film everything. Now, 
when it comes to the hunt next aspect, every time we get in a tree, we do an opener, you know, open interview. Actually, it starts with the truck. We usually do an interview at the truck. We do an opener in the tree, and then we always do a close if possible. Sometimes it gets dark on you. It makes it hard to do. Um, as far as filming wildlife, you can only, in a video, you can only show so many doves before people are tired of seeing plenty of that footage. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll film a handful of doves, and then pretty much I'm only going to film some buck, you know, bucks. Um, and then, you know, as far as, as far as the hunting or the part of the story that's not really hunting related, you know, as far as being in a tree, you know, the work that goes into it, we, we do our best to film that. And then anything that's dramatic, dramatic, you know, dramatic effect, it always helps a, a show. That's why people love these drama, dra, drama series on TV, just because there's always something a little bit, I guess, weird going on. And so whether it's a neighbor or somehow we've got 30 head of cattle on our property that shouldn't have any cattle and they're ruining really hunting, you know, it's, it's little things like that, that kind of help make a story. Um, and so, yeah, I film quite a bit. It's, um, and you know, probably 90% of it's not used, but we've got it if we need it. So, um, yeah, there's a fine line. You definitely want to have more than not enough. Right. If you got enough, if you don't have enough, it's hard to make that up. But if you got enough you know, or got too much, you can narrow that down into, you know, exactly what you need. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, it's pretty easy to control X. I mean, yeah. you can get yeah. rid of stuff pretty you quick. You can always delete stuff. It's hard to. <laughs> stuff out of Not with my storage. You, know, you can't even upload it all. Yeah. But well, uh, we, obviously for us, we, you know, if, if we are missing something, we can just come in the studio and shoot a little interview with a nice pretty backdrop to, you know, move that story along, I guess. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, as we kind of transition out of this um out, out to the end of the podcast. I want to talk a little bit about mistakes because obviously um, this is a successful seasons series um, from the pod, but everybody's got mistakes and I kind of want to bring it back down to earth. You know, you guys are shooting 180 inch deer every year um, or somebody seems to be <laughs> on your team every year. Um, what are some of the bigger mistakes this season that cost you guys an opportunity at a big buck? And based on that, what would you do differently in that scenario? Dang, you make us look bad. Um, <laughs> That's how we close, you know? Yeah. I'll say one thing that we, we've done a couple times, uh, especially for a deer we called Squiggly, which I told you about earlier, just a, a real big deer. You know, I talked about earlier we try to hunt, you know, when the conditions are right. Now, this particular deer, he's a, he's a giant, but we got people hunting them from all over you know it ain't just on our property they know of them especially posted all over social media we got neighbors hunting all over them so there were times we were going in um after this deer maybe when we shouldn't have as far as like perfect hunting conditions now we we're still hunting with the right wind and that kind of stuff but uh, deer feel pressure especially if you're hunting over and over again after one deer a big buck he, he knows he can you can only hunt so long without him catching on um, and so this year we hunted him as, you know, pretty hard, um, early just cause, you know, we felt like we had to get him killed or somebody else was going to kill him. And, um, and yeah, ultimately that's what happened. He, we, I feel like we hunted him maybe a little too much and he, the neighbor ended up shooting him one morning, um, uh, during opening day of rifle season, um, shot him probably 150 yards off our fence what? line. No way. Open yeah. a day rifle. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. What's funny is we, uh, me and Jeff, we were hunting that morning and we got a picture of him. It was oh, probably five minutes before legal light. I'm like, man, if he'll just go to bed, we can slip in there and, and hunt this evening. And then, uh, yeah, he kaboom, about 15 <laughs> minutes later. So yeah, there's, there's a fine line again, between hunting too much and then, at the same time, you got to put in your time at the same time. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. You, you got to put some hours in the stand, um, but they need to be smart, smart hours. Um, and this deer, you know, maybe, maybe we hunted them too much. Maybe we didn't. I, I couldn't tell you for sure. Uh, the neighbor killed them, which hurt. Uh, but we got, to, we did get to close that story because, you know, the neighbor likes us and um, you get 188 or 189 inch deer just to freaking stud it. I'll tell you, it hurt. But um, yeah, I, other than that, I mean, again, we make mistakes all the time. Um, access is a big one. You got to have the right access in and out of your stands. It's not it's it, not always easy to do that. Sometimes, you know, we, you might have to, especially for Squiggly, we had a stand that we could hunt him out of. It was a half mile from our um, 
the cabin that we had, our lodge. Um, but in order to get to that, we had to go by the alfalfa and probably going to run them out of there. So we were actually going about four miles out of the way, walking in a mile and a half oh, uh, wow. to, to hunt this deer. And um, again, if you got bad access, it, it ain't going to work. Um, other than that, I mean, gosh, I don't know. I, I could probably list a handful of things that we screw up all the time and we don't even know it. Um, you know, we might bump a deer and, you know, never, never even know it um, based on where they're bedded or this or that, where we think they are and where they actually are, you know. Um, I don't know what else. What do y'all screw up? What do y'all, because I'm sure we do the exact yeah, same everything. Thing. Access, <laughs> wind direction, choosing to hunt public land. There's, there's a big <laughs> screw up. <laughs> well, yeah, we, I, I got nothing as public land. We've we've hunted it some, but I am thankful that we we do have some private land that we can control and um, do the work that we want to do. Because you know, I, again, not everybody has that capability. I understand that, but um, I also don't take it away from private land people who no. who paid a lot of money, you know, to have that land and to put in the time and the work and the you know whatever it is, because um, it ain't easy either. So. Especially hunting big deer. It don't matter if it's oh, yeah. public or private. It's that'd it's be hard stressful enough. Yeah, <laughs> either way, um, but yeah, thankfully we we do have some good some good land to hunt, and we do our best to you know hunt smart, hunt when we need to hunt, and hopefully you know screw up as little as possible. Yeah, funny. It's funny you like us. You know, you watch this Jeff or whoever on TV, and it, and you know it always looks like they're shooting a big deer. Well, that was one day out of 60 you know, <laughs> yeah. nine days we just got our tails kicked uh, and looked like we had no idea what we we're doing and then you know, <laughs> one day it comes together and you look like you're the best hunter in the world and then the next day you start it all over again and you have no idea what's going on so um yeah it's you know i don't know if that hopefully that answered your question but yeah that's funny because that's what uh that's what our buddy peyton always says it's like you can hunt 100 days in a year and if you get lucky three of those days people think you're a killer it's like what about the other 97 yeah. days that I was hunting? Yeah, you were a failure. 90, it's like baseball. You know, yeah. You hit three out of 10, you're doing pretty good, but you just failed seven times. You know? <laughs> That's uh, why God made a spotlight, you know? We fail much more than we succeed because um, we hunt, you know, over a hundred and something days a year, deer hunting wise. And, you know, if we shoot, if Jeff shoots four deer a year, that's, that's a good year. So, you know, that's 96 days or more of a failure <laughs> in a sense. So yeah, you're going to fail, but you just got to keep after, keep hunting smart, put the, put the wind in your face. And, you know, again, if the Lord wants you to shoot a deer, it'll happen. If he doesn't just enjoy, enjoy the time out there and, you know, maybe, maybe want to walk by. Yeah. If it's meant to be, it'll be, um, yeah, but just, right. Closing out here, um, last question I had for you, not in the same vein as mistakes, but somewhat somewhat similar is there's going to be a lot of folks that weren't able to seal the deal this year. And you talked about when you shot your Booner, um, there were several big bucks that you had encounters with this year. What was your what was your close but no cigar, your scenario this season? Not something that you messed up, but just a scenario that you saw a big buck that you were the closest to sealing the deal, but just couldn't quite get there. Yeah, so if you remember, I talked about I had a big eight point um, that I hunted in between in between opening day and then when I killed mine. We had this little seventy five acre track. It's the same triangle farm that Jeff killed his deer off this year with a decoy. Um, this farm, it's kind of kind of crazy. It's seventy five acres, and I don't think one single deer lives on it. Um, they all live across the road on the neighbors, uh, and that. To our knowledge, he doesn't hunt, and he's got some really good stuff. And uh, but we got food on ours. We got crops and wheat and beans and that kind of stuff. So they would come across the road and hunt on, or eat on us. And there's this really big eight point, uh, just a big frame, probably 150 to 155. You know, just a for an eight point, just a hammer. It's a beast. And uh, I hunted him quite a bit. I probably hunted him ten days, um, not not in a row, but sporadically. And I saw him, I believe, four or five times. And twice he came by uh, at 55 yards, 55 to 65 yards where, um, you know, I, I could have shot at him, um, but I didn't. And on the one that, that really hurts, same deer, uh, me and Ty, who's one of our field producers, we went in, I, I believe it was probably mid-November, somewhere in there. 
and we had a water water tank that these deer were coming to and a ground blind. We got in the ground blind. Um, it's a nice evening. And all of a sudden, um, this little buck, kind of a half rack, pops up. And he's coming to this water tank. And then I look behind him, and there's another buck and another buck. Well, then there's the big eight. So there's basically four bucks coming right at us. They're about, oh, 70 yards. And they're going to come to this water tank, which is, you know, probably 40 yards. And I was going to get an opportunity. And we're sitting there, and I'm watching. When all of a sudden, this owl flies out of the trees and lands on the water tank. <laughs> and uh, that first half rug buck, he didn't like that. And it, it kind of freaked him out. So he, you know, locked up and just stared at that thing for probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. And ultimately, it just held all those bucks up until after legal light. And so they end up coming in. Finally, the, the owl leaves after dark or whatever, and they end up coming to the water tank. But it's five minutes after legal light, and, you know, they were going to be there well before legal light ended. And I was, you know, Lord willing, I was going to at least release an arrow. Um, at the owl or? Well, <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is our Ty who was filming me, he looked at, he's like, man, I've never seen, you know, I've always wanted to take a cool picture of an owl. And he was taking these pictures of the owl and all this stuff. And then the owl ended up ruining our hunt about 30 minutes later. Um, and again, I thought, yeah, that's kind of how our, my season was going. Like we'd be close, but couldn't quite get it done. And this time, you know, it was like, he's going to walk into my lap. And uh, Lord said, no, no, not today. Maybe, which it, you know, it worked out <laughs> for me. Yeah. So, I got to shoot a bigger deer and this and that, but um, yeah, I mean, if you're, you're not going to shoot a big buck every year. I mean, on, I mean, honestly, most people, it, it's not an easy thing to do, um, especially if you only get to hunt weekends or whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy the process, the, the time you're out there and um, again, hunt smart and you know, your, your odds will be as good as they can be, I guess. Yeah. Well, man, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, it's been awesome to hear about not only your filming success, but your success with the bow. I mean, shooting a freaking swamp donkey in Kansas. Um, but for people that are listening that are haven't connected with you guys or Buck Ventures, where can they do that on socials or where can they see some of your videos? Yeah, so we uh, obviously social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I think it's just at Buck Ventures. Um, we've got a YouTube channel. We try to keep it updated. It gets can get tough just because we're out doing stuff. Uh, and then we've got we've actually got two shows now on national TV. We got Buck Ventures on Outdoor Channel now on Thursday nights, um, and then um, we got another show called The Woodsman. So we've got a pro staff of about three hundred guys, and they film for this show called The Woodsman, uh, and it'll be on Sportsman Channel um, starting I think the end of June or July of this year. So yeah, if y'all we'd love for y'all to tune in and watch and. Uh, send me a message and tell me what I screwed up on, which <laughs> didn't like. I was, you know, I can take some criticism. So, um, yeah, that's, that's us. Awesome. What about your personal? Yeah. Follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to get to a hundred thousand. I'm at 3000 right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, that's awesome. There. <laughs> uh, just at, I think it's at underscore Colcan underscore, obviously Facebook is me for request type pretty good about accepting friend requests. I like, especially if you're a hunter, I like following hunters and keeping up with people. And, you know, we, it's funny cause we go through the season. It looks like everybody besides us is killing big bucks. Cause you yeah. see picture after picture after picture of big bucks, but uh, no, yeah. Follow me. I'd be happy to chat. Yeah. Camera questions or whatever it may be. Send them my way. I don't know everything, but I know a few things. So. Yeah, it sounds good. Well, we really appreciate it, man. We'll definitely have to do it again sometime, hopefully when you uh, shoot another booner this year. Yeah, I told Jeff I'm, I'm looking for, you know, 190 and up. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to keep looking. <laughs> we'll see. If, if I get you to 190, I might not get paid for the year. So, uh, now, guys, I appreciate you having me on and happy to chat, hunting and cameras or whatever it may be. So, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.